It's that time again. It's Greek for the week. I'm Chris Palmer. Let's open our Bibles and get right down to the original language, the Greek. God bless you. It's the Greek for the Week podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so appreciative of your listenership. It means a lot to us. You could be listening to a lot of podcasts, but you're here on Greek for the Week, and we don't want you to touch that dial. We want you to stay tuned with us. But before we get into the study today, I want to encourage you to go on Amazon.com, check out Letters for Jesus. Book officially comes out September 10th, but you can pre-order now so that on September 10th, it shows up at your door. Bam, there it'll be right there. And you can get in on this study. So Letters from Jesus, Amazon.com, and you version. Our plans, both the best of Greek for the week, which is a seven-day study, and the seven churches of Revelation, which is a seven-day study. You got it? I hope it blesses your life. Free content, it'll be a blessing. Okay? Let's go to Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 3. Now we're talking about the seven churches, of course, and the first one is the Ephesian church. Now, a lot of people know, if you're familiar with the seven churches, you know Ephesus because of the point they lost their first love, and then you see... The Laodicean church, which is Jesus saying, I stand at the door and knock, and you're lukewarm, and we'll get to that one in a couple weeks. But they know these churches. And then, of course, the other five kind of fall in the middle somewhere. People, I'm not sure. Uh, no, Philadelphia, I think, is one of them. And we're going to talk about all of them. We're going to talk about Sardis. We're going to talk about Pergamum. We're going to talk about Thyatira. talk about uh, Philadelphia. We're going to talk about all of them so we can get a, a big picture of what's happening here in Asia Minor what Jesus is telling these churches. And, you know, it's so important to understand it because the whole context of the book of Revelation can't be dismissed from this. Now, there's some teaching out there, which I respect, but I don't quite see it that way, that would divorce chapter 2 and 3 from the rest of the book. It's kind of like, well, we have the introduction, Revelation chapter 1, vision of Jesus. Then we have Revelation chapter 2 and 3, and and it's what's going on right now. But let's, you know what, now that we've gotten through that, let's get to really where Revelation starts in chapter 4. Move all the way through verse chapter 22 with this. And, you know, not really. You need to look through. Remember, he's you can't get rid of these seven churches at all through the book of Revelation because th- th- he's talking to them the whole entire time. He's showing his visions, John, that is, and Jesus, that is. So there's a context, and we have to be able to not just understand what John is saying, but we have to be able to understand what their hearers would have been hearing at the time. That's very important. And the church at Ephesus would have heard it differently from the church at Smyrna and the church at Pergamum and the church at Thyatira and the church at Sardis and the church at Philadelphia and the church at Laodicea. They would have all heard it differently based upon their situation. And the first situation we're going to talk about is the church at Ephesus. This was the premier church. This was the church that had it going on. This was the you insert mega church move that you can think of right here. This was it. This was the church with the big conferences. This was the church with the big speakers coming. This was the church with the with the big Instagram page, with the big Facebook page, with television broadcast, satellite all over the world. This was that church. And it was a church that had known something about ministry. It wasn't a young church at the time. It had been started by the Apostle Paul, and the heavy hitters had made their way through it. Apollos had been through it. Timothy was the pastor of it. He would have been older at this time, but he was the pastor of it. He was a young Timothy when he first began pastoring. And then not only that, you have uh, Apollos, Aquila, and Priscilla had made their way through it as you, as you study scripture. And then, of course, John was there for some time before he was in Patmos or after he came back from Patmos. And Mary, she had been associated with it as well. Actually, if you go to the, the ruins in Ephesus, I was there in 2011, you can see the house where she supposedly lived and where John supposedly took care of her. So it's a big church, a lot of people associated with it. And that gives you a sort of 
pride in ministry, not in a bad pride, but, you know, we have done something and we have been there and we know a little bit about it. This is probably where I'm sure they trained up a lot of people. And, you know, if you think about it, it had really a great beginning. They had the kind of beginning you want to have when you start a church. It wasn't just slow to start, making their way around. What are we supposed to do? It was, bam, it caught fire right away. Paul comes into Ephesus. He starts teaching the school of Tyrannus. He starts making disciples two and a half years. Paul stayed here, and it wasn't ministry without miracles. They had miracles. They had so many miracles that they couldn't reach enough people themselves, so they started sending out prayer cloths. Acts chapter 19, they started praying over the cloths. The anointing of God, the Holy Spirit, started partnering with cloth. They'd start going to city to city or place to place, and Demons were coming out of people, supernatural deliverance, healing, signs and wonders and miracles, a demonstration of the gifts of the Spirit. It was powerful. And so the church at Ephesus knew something about the supernatural, about the miraculous, and they saw the move of God so much so that the people in Ephesus were getting upset, all the idolatry. The idol makers, oh, they're mad and they're angry. Oh, Paul's taking business away from us. We're throwing their idols away. We can't make enough idols now. We're losing revenue, income. And they chase Paul out of the city. What a beginning. The book of Acts tells all about it. So we won't get into all that today. But you go there and check it out and you understand a little bit of context who Jesus is talking to as John writes to them. So he has a message for them. And... Let's read the message. Let me get to my Logos Bible software. If you don't have Logos Bible software, really, do yourself a favor and get it. I know it's an investment, but if you study the Bible, I, I don't know how you're going to do it without it. I don't know how. I spend, anyway, I'm not giving ads for Logos, but I just love my Logos. Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 2, he says, Jesus says, I know your works. Okay? I know your works. He tells this to all the churches. Oida is the word. It's an intimate knowledge. It's a, he has been there. He understands it. He sees it. It is a very, he has res, he has observed it. He has recorded it. He knows everything about it. You know, I have a, uh, a mental image of my home. I've lived in my home for nine years. I can close my eyes and go in every room. I can see the pictures on the wall. I just, I know it really well. And that's what Jesus is saying. I know it. I've seen everything. Nothing that you have done has gone unseen. I've seen every time you've done outreach. I've seen every time you've done ministry. I've seen every church service. I remember who's gotten saved. I'm very, very familiar with it all. And the first thing he says, I know your toil. Now, the Greek word toil is the word kopos. It's very important. It means your labor. It means your struggle. It means you've gotten there and you have gotten your fingernails dirty. You've rolled up your sleeve and started digging and plowing. You worked hard, which tells you this is not a church that is lazy. It's not a church that sits back and lets other people do the work. They're all involved. They all show up. They all take the bull by the horn. They all pull, the, pull their weight when it comes to the tasks. It is a church that is a ministry machine. They know about getting people saved. They know about getting people delivered. They know about discipling people. They know about having small groups. They know about having conferences. They know how to run an Instagram page. They know how to baptize people. They know how to do ministry. Now, we have churches like that in there. You may even have a church that way. You may be the pastor of a church that way. You may have a network that way. It is the church. It is We call it the ministry church. They're good at ministry. They have boiled it down to science. They know how to get people delivered. And that's great. Praise God for that. God anoints us to develop systems and processes that we can utilize for the sake of the gospel. Hallelujah. And this was Ephesus. Um. They knew something about it. They've been around a while and seen it all. Then he says here, I know, I know your patient endurance. 
and this word is upomone, it's important because it tells you that they saw difficulty. Every church goes through difficulty. You're never going to be in a church that doesn't have difficulty. You go to a church, they have a financial problem. Maybe they can't afford to replace the roof. They got to replace the carpet. They can't afford it. They have to be able to, uh, they have something's wrong with the members. There's a problem internally with the leadership, the staff. Maybe there's division. There's something going on with the pastor. His family is hurting, is in crisis. There's rumors going around. Just because they say it about the pastor doesn't mean it's true. Just because they say it about the leader, the assistant, it doesn't mean it's true. Just because they say people spread rumors all the time, it doesn't mean they're true. All this is representative of difficulty. And it says that the church in Ephesus met it with gallantry. They didn't say, well, there's a rumor. Let's all find another church. They didn't say, oh, there's a financial need. Let's just let somebody else take care of it. Nope. They said, we're going to meet it. We are going to meet it with gallantry. We're going to go at it. We're going to band together like fish that are being attacked by a larger fish. They came together and they formed a strength and a bond between them. That's a whole sermon in and of itself. But then it says here, then you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you have tested those those who call themselves apostles and found them to be false. Now this is a sign of a mature church because they are testing. Which the Greek word testing, Parazzo, tells us the Ephesian church was able to discern false doctrine from the truth. Now this this is important today because there are a lot of people that pride themselves on, well, I'm not a very dynamic pastor, but I know the difference between false doctrine and true. Well, great. There are some people that really pride themselves on this one area in particular. That's good. You, I'm not, I don't make light of that. You should be able to know false doctrine from the truth. But my point is the Ephesians had it all, dynamic ministries, dynamic church, and they were preaching the right doctrine, and they were stepping up to people that were in false doctrine. Now, false doctrine, when, when we say that, okay, let's be very clear what we're saying. We're not talking about divisions and finer points of Christian theology. We're not talking about, well, they had, they were just, you know, one was, uh, what, the Calvinists were calling the Arminians false, or the Arminians were calling the Calvinists false. This is not the kind of false doctrine we're talking about. I would say I have room for both systems the way I think, okay? I'm not out here pointing fingers at Calvinists and Arminians. This is not the type of doctrinal divisions we're talking about. We're talking about pre-Gnostics denying things about Jesus, Denying things about the body of Christ. When people, when I see people calling their Christian brothers and sisters because their difference is false and false prophets, it just proves to me how, uh, the lack of education there, and it should be stopped because it's creating division. This isn't the type of testing that the Ephesian church did. The Ephesian church was taking doctrines that led people away from Christ and they were stepping up to it, and they were setting the record straight, and they were doing that through sensuality. These doctors are promoting sensuality, hyper, hyper, hyper forms of grace, hyper grace, you should say, things that are wicked. And they were stepping up and, and setting the record straight so they were mature and they understand doctrine. So Jesus commends them. But we've talked about how the book of Revelation itself and the messages to the seven churches kind of are like a you. It starts good, it gets bad, then it gets better. And so here, here, he, Jesus comes at him and he, he tells him the problem that he sees within the church, the issue that he has with the church. They're not perfect. 
But Jesus isn't going to throw the churches away. Sometimes we think that he's saying, well, he's getting ready to be done with church. No, in the beginning, he has to warn the church. He warns them that he'll remove the lampstand, the candlestick, which means he's going to take away their place, remove his presence. So they were, it was, they, it was a serious warning, okay? Let's make no bones about it. This was a warning. He was not pleased. There's some things that they had done, not pleased, but he's willing to hold on to them. He's willing to work with them. That's the important thing. Jesus is willing to work with them despite their difficulties. But he gives a very strong message. And he tells them here that the problem they have, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Not like the way the ESV goes at it, because when we say first love, we think Jesus. But I would. there's nothing there that suggests that he, he's talking about Jesus. My argument is with this is because I've gotten into discussions with believers, fruitful discussions. They say, is it the first love they, they don't love Jesus anymore? My thing is probably not. I think they do have a love for Jesus. I don't think you can have a love for Jesus. There has to be a love for Jesus and his word in your heart if you're going to stand up to false doctrines, if you're going to come together uh, against difficulties, and if you are going to produce ministry. You have to have some kind of love for Jesus and the kingdom to do that. I think the problem was what happens a lot of times in ministry is that when you focus so much on ministry and the work, you forget about the people who are doing the work. And I think most commentators, there's at least half of them would agree with me, and, and theologians would agree that this is talking, or I'd agree with them, is that this is talking about they lost the love that they had for one another. And how many times have we seen that in churches that are pre 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 prevalent when it comes to doing ministry, they lose the love for one another. It's not about the person anymore, let's just get the ministry done. It's not about the people that are getting saved, it's about the sermon. It's not about... It's not about uh, going to see the person at the hospital, it's just, did I do the visit? And that's what was going on in the church. The people had a lot, had, had put an emphasis on the ministry, upon doing it right, the systems, the procedures that they had created, but they had forgotten about the love that they had for one another. And listen, it's really important not to forget about the love that we have for each other. I mean, love, Jesus says in John chapter 13, 35, remember, this is John writing this. He says, by this show, all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. It's a serious problem to, to, to leave love that we have for each other in the Christian community because Romans 5.8 tells you love comes from God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 says that the, the love is evidence of eternal life. And John 13.35, I should just quote it, says that it's the evidence that we have, uh, well, John 3.14, we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren, but it also demonstrates to the world that we're of Christ. So love is so important because it's telling us that this is how you know you are of Christ. And it also tells us that God is love. So you can't be in God without demonstrating the love. How can you say you love God who you can't see when you can't love your brother who you can see? That's what scripture says. So serious problem. This was a church that knew ministry was doing ministry without love. I always say that love is like the oil in your car. You can have the engine going right, you can have everything going right, but what makes that engine turn and work is, is the oil. And the minute the oil disappears, your engine freezes up and it does untold damage to the whole entire system. You ruin the car if you take the oil out. The love is what keeps it going. Love is like the blood in your body that keeps your organs moving, keeps everything going. And the Ephesian church was without it. And God was telling the Ephesian church, your oil is running low. You need to refill on love. And so he tells them to repent and do the works that you did at first, which was love one another. That was the command of Jesus that they were forgetting. So the point is today, friends, are you doing ministry without love? Are you go, are you going out on the streets and witnessing but not showing love to your brother? Are you doing, are you, you know what, I, I see it so many times. It's, and I don't even look at, there's a few people I watch on YouTube, thank God for them. I want, listen, my platform's not as big as a lot of these other people, 
But I would, I have watched people become so, people are so right about doctrine, but so wrong in their motives. They, they don't have any love. The way, it's more like, I'm right and you're wrong. Boom, take that. God's more concerned about me being right. You know what? I believe in the truth when it comes to the major points of Christian theology. But there are some things, whether you're right or whether you're wrong, what's more important is, is love. You know, that's just how I feel about it. I was educated at a Sundays of God's school, Armenian school. Got my master's at a reform school. And <clears throat> there's nothing about Calvinism I don't know. There's nothing about Arminianism I don't know. Um, I mean, there's, when I'm speaking hyperbolically, okay, I'm sure there's little things I don't know, but I've gone through Sistio 1 and Sistio 2 and Sistio 3 in both sides of schools, and I've heard both arguments. You know, my thing is, let's stop being divided against each other. Paul said in Revelation, uh, Romans chapter 15 and verse 6, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Proslumbano, receive the person to your side despite the differences that you have. And that's a sign of maturity. I would hate to stand before the Lord and him tell me, well, you didn't love the person that disagreed with you on these fine points of theology, which are debatable in Scripture. Nothing that took away from Christ. Just differences. Let's love one another. I don't want to do ministry without love. What about, or, or are you focused on a ministry? Are you going to conferences? You know, people go to conferences, they want to hear the word, they want to hear the word, and then the person next to them, they disregard them, they're not friendly to them. <clears throat> Friendliness is a form of love. Let's be friendly. Let's let our churches be places where we love one another and we receive people for their differences. And when I mean differences, I mean, I don't mean major things, okay? Uh, I'm talking about finer points of theology and whatever. All right, so that's the challenge today. Let's be like, what Jesus says, let's correct ourselves the way that God told the Ephesian church to correct ourselves, and let's make sure that our love is on point. Okay, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. Letters from Jesus. Go ahead and get it. I write about a lot of these things, um, and, and pray it's a blessing to your life, Amazon.com. Remember, you, you, you version. if you go on the version app, you type in Greek Philippe, Chris Palmer, you will find it, okay? I love you. God bless you. I love you with the love of Jesus. I may not know you, but if I knew you, I'd love you, okay? God bless you, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support us further, you may visit us on the web at lightoftoday.org. God bless and good studying.